You're listening to the Texas Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Clark. I'm a nurse practitioner in Dallas, Texas. And today I am happy to introduce to you Erin Perez. And she, Erin, is an adult geriatric nurse practitioner and an advanced certified hospice and palliative nurse. She also successfully ran and won a city councilwoman position, place three, in Live Oak, Texas. She is about to come up to her one-year term. It was in May 2021. She is a rock star in the nursing world in Texas, and I think her experience expands beyond Texas even. She was the first nurse practitioner chair of any advisory council. She um, is the chair for the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Advisory Council. She's the vice president of Texas Nurse Practitioner. She is a legislative ambassador for hospice and palliative care. And she's been on multiple various task forces with the Texas Nurses Association. This is just to name a few things that she has accomplished, all the while being a full-time advanced practice nurse. (laughs) So I'm just thrilled to be here with you today, Erin, and I would just love to hear just about your story and, you know, what led you to this involvement in politics and, and just the inspiration that was there. Well, thank you very much. Soon to be Dr. Elizabeth Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Really, I started as an associate's degree nurse, which a lot of people don't know. Um, I was a very young nurse, I believe, when I graduated. I was 21 from San Antonio College. And from there, even in that, I knew I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. My daughter was in the neonatal intensive care unit. And of course, there is a neonatal nurse practitioner that was there to help guide me and calm the fears of a new mother, as well as a very new registered nurse who is very green. Prior to that, you know, a lot of times people know through the TNA article, I cared for a lot of family members, my mom, my maternal grandmother, my aunt, my grandfather, you name it. I was the um, caregiver, even though I didn't have the nurse. And so (laughs) it was very young. Um, I was dealing with wounds, mental health, different surgical things. You, I mean, all the things that you think of a nurse and a caregiver, I was doing that at a very young age. I said I had more than my share of on-the-job training and extra credit through my elementary, middle school, and high school years. So it really was by chance that as far as I wanted to go away from nursing, God pulled me back in and said, no, you're going to be a nurse. And so then when I graduated, um, it was really, I went to surgical intensive care unit, but then they had us rotate through emergency room and uh, make you the medical intensive care unit. And during that time, I was able to also do the air life. And so the air life, actually, I was an adrenaline junkie. I loved that. I had a scene from like the ER. If People are old enough to remember that show. I was like, <laughs> my goodness, this is what I want to do. And then I was, no, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> and so nursing really is to me like a kid in a candy jar. Like if you're wanting to test out the waters for something over here, you can. Um, If you want to do something over here, you can. I mean, the sky's the limit with nursing. And so for me, I really utilized that to my advantage. So I went back to school, uh, went to UTMB, 
did my RN to VSN, fell in love with uh, the University of Texas Medical Branch. And at that time, when I graduated, they had opened up miraculously their adult and geriatric nurse practitioner, right time. And then they got their doctorate of nursing practice. And so I did take some hiatus and Dr. Linda Rounds and a good friend of mine, Emil Hevelias, who's a, another nurse practitioner in my cohort was like, you should come back. And so I went back for my DNP with UTNB. I went with uh, Dr. Linda Rounds, Dr. Sharon Forrest, and my scholarly project was on how to define supportive palliative care in Texas, which came to bear Senate Bill 916 and the 86th legislative session, which clearly differentiated supportive palliative care from hospice and the Texas Health and Safety Code. It also gave Texas Health and Human Services a way to do a study. And that study is actually coming out this fall. At the same time, probably our next uh, legislative recommendation from the Texas Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Advisory Council legislative report. So I'm very thankful that that's coming to fruition. Our council um, is very well known since the 84 session when we were created we have been really moving and shaking on the policy with getting bills off the ground based off of the legislative reports. I've been very thankful to be a lead contributor to those uh, reports as well as get some bills, um, not just through Senate Bill 916, but if we wanna look at um, death certificates. Um, it was really great if people wanna look at the Texas Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Advisory Council under HHSC. We've got our own website, which I helped to create um, as a state deliverable. And it separates palliative care and hospice, but also Elizabeth, it puts out all of our open forum meetings. It has all of our legislative reports so people can see what is all of the interactions we're having on council, our dialogue, our subject matter experts, our continuing education that we do for the state every year. And um, last legislative report was really huge for nurses, in particular advanced practice, because in that report, we were counted as a workforce, a, a workforce capital and resources on how are we bridging the gaps for Texas, specifically for supportive palliative care and hospice by our board certification. Uh, nurse practitioners um, are board certified the ACHPN, as well as there's physicians also that are board certified, PAs or not, they don't have a board certification right now, but um, they are allowed to practice in palliative and hospice without board certification. So just a little interesting little tidbit on that, but I'm very proud that as a council, we can show that we can move mountains by collaborating efficiently, effectively, clearly by setting up Texans first. And so, you know, I would encourage some of your viewers too to look at Texans for Healthcare Access, more access, more options hashtag to see what that advance the APRN um, coalition is doing. Um, they've got a large number of non, um, just not just nurses, but businesses, uh, left wing, right wing, you name it, everybody's kind of coming on to support more access, more options for Texas. And so I think with these advisory councils, it really sets up nurses and nurse practitioners to really be 
on the ground floor at the table to have those crucial conversations to educate the public, but educate those colleagues that they're at the table, educate our legislative members, because remember those advisory legislative reports goes to the governor, lieutenant governor, all of the members on the House and the Senate side and their staff read it. And so that's how we can impact by working through these advisory councils. So I remember when I first applied, I was very nervous because I didn't know anybody that was on an advisory council. I didn't even know how to. <laughs> and so really I had to do a how-to version of how do you do this application and um, how do you get people to write uh, true supportive uh, recommendations to the state that you're an expert in your field and that you can actually help Texans and help this agency with policy. And so that was very interesting. But nursing really, Elizabeth, has afforded me the sky's the limit, like I said, from, from the ER, neonatal to um, hospice and palliative, I say I've done, you know, from birth to death. And so <laughs> been honored in in every way, shape, and form to help care for these patients and families, but also our colleagues. And I know our colleagues have been exhausted the last three years. We've all been on overtime more than full practice and pulled every which way. And so I've been very thankful to serve with wonderful humans at the bedside to care for these patients and um, really each other during this pandemic. And not to just name pandemic, but also our natural disasters that we've had in Texas. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about me. So I really went from associates as a very young person to a doctorate. And I have found through all my experiences, whether professionally or personally, that truly if we want to make impact on the generations, I, I often look at what's the ripple legacy through the generations that we're going to leave. And I've talked to other people about leaving a nursing print. Like we have a fingerprint, Elizabeth. We often have to remind ourselves, what is our nurse print that we're going to leave? And I have found that policy is the way to truly help improve the health and well-being, but also the quality of life of Texans, our community, our generations, um, I often think back, you know, one of my social media posts, I was writing Senate Bill 916 to be considered in the legislative report that came to be a bill. And I was at a picnic table with horses and goats around me, having <laughs> tea on a hot summer day. And um, it's a wonderful, beautiful memory that I can say nursing prepared and equipped me to be able to clearly um, be decisive in my vote for my voice, but also in my written skills to help them the best way that I know how with the due diligence that I am doing day in and day out by reviewing the evidence and best practice and what's the gold standard of care, but also through that collaboration across the great state of Texas, but also nationally and internationally. And so my movement and policy has also helped the Center to Advance Palliative Care as much as they help me with my doctoral project and my uh, advancement into the advisory council, different leadership roles. 
um, and the National Academy of State Health Policy when I was able to represent as one of two from Texas to go where legislatures go for policy recommendations and different leaders across the state. I was able to go uh, to their um, palliative care summit. And that's when Texas actually was called a pioneer for supportive palliative care. And I said, is this being recorded? <laughs> being called a pioneer, Elizabeth. I uh -huh. call that very often. But, you know, this nursing journey and this nursing print, I hope, you know, whenever my time is done on earth, that people really can say, you know, Erin gave everything she had to her profession and her patients, her family, her community, and tried to make the world a better place by leaving her distinct nursing print. And so I think there's a lot of work that we can do to enhance and augment what we have as a profession. And I think that policy and politics now is the time. And so a lot of times we look at, you know, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are you independent or whatnot? But I think as nurses, especially Elizabeth in Texas, we have one in 44 voters as a nurse. That is a huge vote. That is a huge, huge power. And so how do we educate, engage, but then empower? Gone are the days of us punching in, punching out to do our regular employer job, regardless of your, your um, role and your setting, we have got to be mobilized in this nurse party. It's not Republican, it's not Democrat. It is who supports us as a 4 million profession nurse for the health and well-being of our community. I think of, you know, when we were in the throes of COVID and we went through a natural disaster, that really pushed me over the edge as far as we have people at the table who are not healthcare in any way, shape or form. They may have business degrees or attorneys and things like that, but they are not healthcare literate. And so we need nurses, regardless of your role or setting, we need nurses to go out to take that leap of faith, you know, take it. Really, I think of Corey Bush, the nurse that's in, in Congress right now. She is a single mom, went from, you know, being a single mom, being a full-time nurse, and now she's in Congress and she's helping yeah. change masses, the landscape. And so, you know, kudos to Nurse Party to helping support her. And I think a lot of people have asked, you know, how can we get more nurses at the table? And it really comes through how can we, number one, make sure that our nurses are part of our organization. We have to be joining our nursing professional organization as our chosen voice. Also, we have to support our political action committees because money talks, that's how policy and unfortunately politics, that's the, that's the ugly head of it, right, is through finances, but that's how the world goes around right now. And then we have to support our nurses who want to run for elected office, you know, whether it's for the school board, it's for the treasury, it's for the city council, it's for the Congress or, or their state representative or Senate. We have to be willing to contribute to the war chest for them to go out, get everything that they need to be successful in their campaign 
for us to be able to also have a greater voice at the table while we're trying to make greater impact for policy for Texans. And I think that's the number one thing is we always as nurses put patients first. And so we have to be able to put our unified voice together to greater impact Texans and, and patients first. I think if we can look at, you know, if your viewers can go to the commonwealthfund.org, they always uh, present a United States health report card that looks at all kinds of different outcome measures and metrics. And it's unfortunate that Texas is always the highest as far as healthcare expenditures, but our outcomes are really poor, Elizabeth. We're ranked like 45 to 50. It does, it, whatever you're looking at, we're always in the very bottom. And so that makes me very sad. You know, my roots run deep. I'm a Canary Islander. Uh, we're you know, San Antonio was founded by Canary Islanders back in the day, as well as an Alamo descendant. Um, so my, my roots really run deep. I will never leave Texas. But I think, how can I help Texas? And that's through policy and politics. And then I also look at how do we help engage our professionals, our sisters, our brothers, our colleagues, and our profession to continue on outside of their daily tasks by their employer, we have to get out in the community. And so I'm very thankful, Elizabeth, that you're putting this podcast together. I have high hopes for, for all the different endeavors that you are going to do for the future as well for Texas nurses. So I look forward to seeing you on that journey. But there's a lot that we can do. I think we just have to put in the, the elbow work like we've always done, continue to be innovative, and um, now's the time for nurses. You know, this is our 20th year being the most trusted profession. So now's that time, Miss Elizabeth. How can we <laughs> make the, the dream work? Absolutely. Uh, amen. You are you are such an innovator in nursing, you know, and that's that's what that's what nurses need. You know, I was I've been working, I've been wrapping up my doctoral project, and it was about motivating and inspiring nurses for political involvement and to decide if they want to run for office. And one big thing that I noticed is that it's, it's very novel that nurses are considered a primary profession now. And it's, I think in Texas, it's sort of an antiquated idea that nurses are this, these followers and they do what they're told. But in reality, nurses are innovators. Nurses have started so many in, improved health outcomes and changed practice that physicians and everyone else has, have adopted. And it's just now in the last few years that nurses, like you're saying, they're recognizing their worth and they, they do deserve a seat at the table, a seat on a political level, statewide, local, national, everything. But the, the, the challenge is there's this stigma that many nurses, you know, I found in my, in my studies in, my, in this doctoral program that they feel ill-prepared and they feel like there are biases against them. And so, you know, that's one of the goals that I'm working with TNA to, you know, start this pipeline for nurses. Maybe they don't want to run for office, but they really want to be involved and they want to support people like you through grassroots, but they need to know the structure. They need to know how to, where to start, you know? So what was that aha moment for you 
you know, you got involved, it sounded really early in your career, but what was that moment when you're like, okay, I'm going to be the person (laughs) to go and run for this. And I'm going to go testify for this. And I'm going to get on this committee and I'm going to run for this, you know, the city councilwoman position. What was that moment? And you're like, I can do this. I'm going to overcome all these barriers and go for it. So, yeah, I think there's been several aha moments, those little Oprah light bulb moments that people talk about. Um, I think it's personally having seen tremendous amount of uh, symptom burden and suffering um, led me to it's got there's got to be a better way. Challenges and barriers to practice, whether I was in the RN role or NP role, um, there's been lots of barriers to practice. I even had to call upon one of my state senators uh, because the VA was having such challenges with one of my family members who I was caretaking for. Um, And so I thought there has to be a better way. And yes, I was doing a service to my patients and families at the bedside doing direct patient care, but other people were suffering the same things. And not everybody has a nurse in their family. Not everybody has a healthcare profession. And so even other healthcare professionals that may have family members, they were running into the same challenges. And so how do we move the needle forward to help patients where they need it, when they need it, as quickly as we can, um, so they're not suffering needlessly, as well as empowering our nurses who are caring for them and trying to figure out how do we minimize the suffering because we do a holistic model of care and we don't just treat the physical person, we treat the emotional, the spiritual, the social determinants of health, all of those different things. And so I started finding along the way, my voice as a nurse carried weight that people actually would listen to. And so even though I can tell you as a child, I had some psychosocial challenges where I, w- I didn't talk for a while. I was told I didn't talk for a while. And so now people can't get me to stop talking. <laughs> That's always, you know, an interesting when, when I hear from my family, you know, you wouldn't talk for a while. We actually had to take you somewhere to have speech therapy. And I, now I'm like, okay, well, it worked really, really well. That <laughs> You're an overcomer. <laughs> so now my focus is on, you know, how do we run to the things that make us very scared? I am scared. I, I can tell you just to even think about running. And when I was really getting serious, I did the nursing model of, I did all the literature review and guess what? There is no book on how to run for city office. There's no book. There's not a how to book. And so then I called upon some of my friends that were in uh, the legislature. And I said, what do you think? What do you think about me running for city council? And one of the most important pieces of advice somebody gave me was Aaron, just like you were talking about Elizabeth, is they said, if you have to ask if you should run, you shouldn't run. Because guess what? Men don't ask. They do it. They don't care what people say. They don't care what people do. They don't care if they don't have enough money. They just do it. They take the leap of faith and do it. And that was the most poignant thing I could have ever had on the Sunday night at nine o'clock at night. I still remember it 
because I thought, oh my gosh, here we go. And you want to talk about that subservient, the nurses are here to serve everybody but themselves, but actually nurses are our own business. We are here to serve our business as a person, as a professional, to help better the lives of others. But we can't discount what we are prepared and equipped to do as nurses who are the most trusted professional. And I look at Texas, you know, nurse practitioners, there is a nurse practitioner in every 254 counties. There is not a physician, and whether it's an MD or DO, in every 254 counties. And so when we look at trying to reduce barriers and bridging the gaps for care, nurses are doing it as best as we can. But I think, especially in Texas, nurses, we have to support our advanced practice colleagues because we can't afford the pay to play model that's not evidence-based, where you have to pay a physician to sign a contract for them not to even see the patient, for them not, not to leave on campus. Yeah. yeah. I said, in what profession can you charge another profession? How, how many thousands of dollars, right? Elizabeth, let's get real yes. here. Yes. You know, I've seen as high as six figures for no work, for no work. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'd love to open my own practice, but I don't pay for somebody who doesn't work. I said, and why would I be making more than two house payments to somebody so I can try and help somebody else, but they're not doing any work to help me help them. It I doesn't said, make so, practice any safer. No, red tape. you know, so now we've got over 50 years of evidence to support our advanced practice colleagues to be able to practice without these barriers to practice without this pay to play, I call it. Um, I don't know if that's right or not, but I call it pay to play. <laughs> And I said, I'm not willing to do the pay to play. I can, I'm already supporting my own self, my own family and my extended family with my paycheck, let alone give somebody something that they're not working for. And so I think as nurses, that was another aha moment. And then also, you know, um, controlled substances, you know, when as nurse practitioners, we're treating these very complicated, complex patients under palliative care, not hospice, some under hospice, but specifically for me under supportive palliative care. And you don't have maybe an outpatient uh, pharmacy in the hospital, you know, maybe it's a private hospital. And then you have to go and ask some physician, can you fill a script that you've never seen for a patient? Because you can't do that. You've got barriers. So I could go on, the list is long. But I'm very hopeful that with Texas nurses that can unify and support, you know, I think if we can support each other, sisters and brothers and colleagues, and really unify that voice and put our money where our mouth is, and not just talk to say, we want this and we want that, but actually have a tangible intervention to support the profession and the roles to better help our patients and families we serve we're going to make headway. I have no doubt. This is, there should be no reason why we're not getting out there to support our organizations to actually vote. And when I talk about vote, whether it's in your organization for leadership, it's getting on the task force, councils, committees, signing up for legislative ambassadors. You know, do you know who your house and your Senate representatives are? Do you know who's in your city council? Do you know who's on your school board? What are their views? 
And if you are looking at what's happening, what are their outcomes, and you feel like your experience can help them, remember, you are prepared, you are equipped to go ahead and do that. Just be bold enough to take that first step of faith to go out and and do something and run for it. And make sure that your team is fully vested for you. I can tell you my my team that helped me be very successful and win 60% of the vote they worked tirelessly because I still worked full-time even wow. though full-time it was during COVID so we were working overtime and I still had all of my other obligations that I had to do but I think if we can lift each other up and rise the tide for all nurses we win together and not just as singletons nursing is a team sport and I think oftentimes we forget about that when we sometimes eat our young, when we have to depend on our young to care for us as we go through our phases of our journey too. And so I think it's, you know, that movement of diversity, inclusivity, equality, but also belonging. How do we increase that sense of belonging for our nursing profession? Because there's silos, there's cliques, And I think with policy and politics, we can't do that. We can't do any more silos and clicks. We have to be unified as one. You know, it's like, I think of that, that Nemo cartoon, you know, from Disney and they're like, keep swimming. And so they finally break this net when they're all stuck, right? Because the barrier, because they all work together. Nemo couldn't do it by himself. And then I also think, you know, when you talked earlier, Elizabeth on, you know, this thinking that we should be a little subservient to others, you know, and sometimes I often think of the imposter syndrome. I know when I graduated with my doctorate and my nurse practitioner as a master's, I went through an imposter syndrome kind of phase where I was like, am I truly ready? But it took me a while to get my sea legs. And I think of, you know, often the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, and the red ruby slippers, when Dorothy had the power all that time and look at all the challenges she had to go through in the journey, but it wasn't the red Ruby slippers that helped her. It was her own self. And so I think nurses, if we can overcome that imposter syndrome overcome the red Ruby slippers, and we actually join our profession, we vote, we are actively engaged. We're putting a little bit of our money where our mouth is, right? Just think if every nurse, LVN, RN, APRN, I don't care what title you have, but if everybody donated $10, can you imagine what we could accomplish at the policy tables, at the state and the federal levels to better help our profession so we can better help Texans and our United States? Yes. And there we go. So I am very much pro-nurse party. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent. I am very much, how are you helping the nurses? And if there's not a nurse at your table, at your local level, your federal level, your state level, why? We've got to get there. And how do we support them? So I want to just say thank you to uh, Representative Stephanie Click and Representative Donna Howard, who is now in our, you know, they've been pillars in our state legislature but we've got to get more. So how do we band together to move that needle forward and break those barriers? I think this is one step to do it. So I appreciate you and TNA for doing this. 
Amen. This is great. Oh, what great advice you have to share. Yeah. I would love to talk to you even more at some point if we could, just what the whole experience was going through the whole, the campaigning even, you know, I know we're running out of time, but nurses want to hear about that, you know, like they want to hear what it's, what it's like, what, how did you do it? How did you make it through? And, but I think what you're saying is that's the feeling, you know, you, the joy and excitement that you have in your voice, when you describe this, you know, you have this passion and, and you're on fire and, you know, nurses need to hear about this and, and support you support other potential candidates, you know, because you can propel, you can be that voice for all of us in this profession and for our patients. And if, if we don't, someone else will, and they may not be healthcare educated, but they're going to be making healthcare decisions. So there again, nurses need a seat at the table, you know, go pro nurse party, right? <laughs> I love the nurse party hashtag. And then I also love uh, nurses inspire nurses because remember the people that we elect, if you look at any ballot, whatever ticket you, you vote on, most are not healthcare professionals. And so we have got to get those nurses at that table on the ballot. Um, I'd love to talk, that'd be a little teaser for another segment of your podcast, uh, Elizabeth, of you know what that was like. It was very eye-opening. I grew some thicker skin. So now I've got some calluses from... <laughs> go through that different, but I think remember as nurses, you know, you don't go through your undergraduate, your graduate, your postgraduate nursing degrees. It's not for the faint of heart. You have to remember where do we come from? We are from the ground up. We are put in the fire, molded, and we continue to polish. We're never a, an end product. We're always evolving, being innovative. I think the one thing, just, just remember, be bold, see it, believe it, take that first step. You don't ask anybody, just do it. The other thing is I think of is um, dream out loud, right? Somebody asked me, uh, one of my friends asked me within the last month, what is your pie in the sky? And I really had to think, and they said beyond a state um, legislator seat, what is it? And I said, well, if the sky's the limit, Congress would be the limit, you know, and yeah. they said beyond that. So, I mean, it just really, when we start elevating from ground level to 15,000, 30,000, you think 75,000 feet is high. What about the moon, right? That's right. Nurses can do it. I think it's just a matter of making sure that we know we are prepared, we are equipped, we must go forward. Our patients depend on it, your families depend on it, your generations depend on it. And so I think if we put it in that perspective, our nursing instinct, that drive, why we became a nurse to help somebody, if we put it in that big perspective, you've got that drive and motivation to break all those barriers. And to even speak when you are so scared, for me, I was like, how do I speak when I was, when I had never done testimony in the house or Senate? Um, you know, I, I um, am going to have a big challenge here soon to, to deliver a very important speech to some very special nurses within the next month who are just 
special, special, special. And I can just, I was like, man, I'm going to need a beta blocker or something. <laughs> but I have to look at run where the fear is, because I know that we are divinely, instinctually um, have purpose as a nurse and nurses can do it. So how do we do that? Um, just by drawing on our nursing instincts, but also supporting your brothers and sisters in nursing. Yes. And that's what, that's what we're hoping to do. You know, and what Texas Nurse Association continues to do is to be that, that platform or that, you know, that pipeline for nurses who need that support and backup. And, you know, any, if there are any listeners that are interested in being more involved politically or maybe wanting to run for office, you know, contact Texas Nurses Association and we will get you connected. So I just, again, Erin, I would love to meet with you again sometime. There's so much more to talk about and I, but I want to be respectful of your time, just knowing your background, how busy you are. So I thank you again so much for your time today and I wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavors. Thank you. And you too. And let me know when your uh, scholarly project is done and I will be there to cheerlead for you as well. And, and thank you again to Texas Nurses Association for inviting me on your wonderful podcast for policy and politics.